Hi, everyone. Welcome to the very first episode of For the Students, a ongoing series where I try my best to humanize the backstories and lives of faculty and staff in higher education. As the name might suggest to some of you, I'm really just interested in why we do what we do for the students. And I, I know why I do why why I do this job and why I've pursued this career path. But unfortunately, in higher education, we do a pretty poor job of telling the stories of the humans behind the PhD. And oftentimes, I'll, I'll tell people when they ask me what I do for a living, I, I tell them that I'm a teacher. And then they pry. They say, well, what grade do you teach? And I say, well, I'm a, I'm a college educator. And they're like, so you're, you're a professor? And I go, yeah. Because it, it just always has seemed so pretentious to me. And I just hate that that is the thing that defines me. Because at the end of the day, I'm just some dude on planet Earth. I, I happen to be a college professor. But if at the end of my lifelong journey on planet Earth, the thing that I'm most notable for is my PhD and the publications that I have, then I think I've done a pretty bad job of highlighting the cool things about me as a human. And I want to capture that for other people and make sure that we all are doing a good enough job of telling our stories, having students and other people hear the real, true, authentic versions of us. And as part of that humanizing process, just get to know each other a little bit better. I have the really fortunate privilege in my mind to work with some really cool people across campus. And as I'm new on campus and as I'm meeting new people, I have this growing fascination with, well, where are you from? What do you do? What's what's your upbringing like? Why do you study the thing that you do? So this is going to be a very less than academic approach to it. If you are looking for a more academic approach, I have nothing for you, but really just trying to capture the essence of why everyone is doing what they're doing. So without further ado, I'd like to jump into my very, very, very first episode uh, for the students with Zach DeWitz. He is the general manager of WONC the college radio station, award-winning, might I add, college radio station at North Central College. And so here we go. How do you, how do you want to even start your, your, your podcast? That, that's, great, that's something that I've been stumbling over on and on and on. You can always do it later. And I think I will. Yeah. Or just leave this in for authenticity purposes. <laughs> but, I mean, generally speaking, you, I think uh, the human nature component of it is to always want to get it right the first jump. Yeah. To and, do everything in, in one sitting and have everything lined up before you even start. Well, that's what all the greats do. <laughs> it's really not. It's not. But that's what, that's what <laughs> I've convinced myself. At least I think that's what people have convinced me, is that the, if you're that talented at a thing... You just get it right the first time. But how was it really the first time? No. When was the first time and how did that first time go? So I had an opportunity to be on the air years ago when I was an undergraduate student, over a decade ago, at WZND at Illinois State. And just because I had a friend who was doing radio Mm -hmm. and I had conveyed to him that I had tentative interest, which was actually masking it. I had a tremendous amount of interest. I just had a lot of fear compounding that. And so you and literally everybody else who ever did radio. Well, right. Wouldn't you? Well, maybe not you. No, I was scared to death. Were you really? The first time I came in here, yes. Absolutely. And then what happened? You showed up and... So so let me me take you back to 2001. Please. No, I love that. First time I ever went on the air... Uh, we, I, I took the Friday night, eight to ten, thinking, "Oh man, this is going to be great." It's Friday night; people are going out. No, it was high school football. 
Perfect. So I was sitting in the studio learning how to, to board up a football game. First thing I ever said was something like, hey, everybody, it's time for Vintage Rock going into the next show after right. the football, had, football game had ended. That was that absolutely nothing about that should have ever been said. Starting with, hey, everybody, you're not supposed to do that. And it was kind of pointless. I should have just played the Vintage Rock opener, right? which says it's time for Vintage Rock. My first real experience on the air, I did a newscast a few days after 9-11. 9-11 was my second day of college. Okay. And everything changed after that. And I, I didn't even know what it was like before that because I came in for my first newscast right. after 9-11. I was absolutely terrified. I thought I was great at speaking and great at reading out loud. No, I was really not good. And I've gone back and I've listened to that multiple times and I've played it for people. And they're like, there's no way that's you. I don't even talk the way that I used to. I, I, I sound completely different, like right. two different people. And, you know, over the years, your voice changes a little bit. You get older. But I speak in a completely different way. So thinking back, that first time was an absolute train wreck. I stumbled over everything. I know that I was nervous. My first DJ shift was not long after that. I had no idea what I was doing. I had someone who came in, showed me how to use the the, the console, how to load up a mini disc and a CD, and then he was just kind of done. He didn't tell me the finer points of being on the air. I had to just kind of think, what have I heard professional DJs do? And I still did it wrong. Hey, everybody, this hey, is Zach. Yeah, Zach. Got some great tunes yeah. coming up. Come on. You know, I think back to that, and, you know, when I hear a student do it now, I don't want to be too hard on them because I did that exact same thing. Sure. And I listened to the radio all day, every day as a teenager. When I wasn't in school, I, I was listening to, to the radio because that was just what I loved. But I still couldn't emulate that right. in, in the right way. And it took me a couple of years of being on the air constantly here, of doing DJ shifts and newscasts and traffic and sports, a little bit of everything, to actually understand, okay, this is a better way to do this. This is maybe how a, a professional would do it. And you know, getting some feedback from John Madormo, it, it narrowed things down a little bit. Okay, I can stop saying that and do this instead. And I'm going to sound more like a professional. So when I go to make my demo and get a job, I'll know what it needs to sound like. And, and maybe I'll, I'll send it off and someone will give me some feedback and they'll say, hey, maybe take this out, find, you know, find some caller interaction that you can, you can put in there. But my jumping off point was from I had no experience. I didn't have high school radio experience. Right. I had been to a radio station before and watched, but I had never been behind a microphone before. So I was terrified. So it took me until really probably 2015 to understand how to run a really great morning show. And then I left three years later. So you, you come into school, you mm-hmm. come to college, 2001. Yeah. 9-11. We're just going through all the historical implications yeah. of, of your life at the time. You, it takes you until 2015. So effectively a decade yeah. out of school to you noting that you're you figured it out i felt like i did you felt like you there did. were over the years there were always people patting my back okay when i was in college oh you're gonna do great you're gonna you're gonna be great in radio you're gonna get a job no problem took me nine months to get my first radio job and then when i got that job there were some people there oh i listened to you the other day you sound great you sound great you sound great you sound great 
But then I would listen back and I would, I would wonder what were they even listening to that sure. wasn't great. And then when I moved to mornings, I replaced somebody who, I'll be very honest, just wasn't very good. Yeah. They had never been behind the, con- the control board while being on the air. They had worked downtown. And at that station downtown, you either produced or you were on the air. Got it. And if you were on the air, you did not touch the board. So that person was only there for a year and a half. The ratings were very bad because the show was a mess. When I took over, I at least had an idea of what a morning show should sound like in a suburban setting with a co-host. And it was like this breath of fresh air to people because it was so different and sounded more professional. But personally, I've always been my toughest critic. And I didn't, 2015 is when I started to really feel like I get this now. I listen back to myself and I'm not cringing multiple times a break. I understand how to put a good show together. And I had gone through a few co-hosts. And when w- the reality of radio is if you are a morning show co-host and you are not something else there, like a promotions director or production director, you're a part-time employee and you're probably making $12 an hour. I wonder, too, how often when we talk about the feedback process, I- I'm trying to envision myself as a 16, 17-year-old picking out schools to go to. Mm-hmm thinking that uh, maybe a delusion that I could do radio, right? And so at some point, someone must have said to a young kid, you're cut out for this. You're made for this. You have the perfect voice. And then you get there, and maybe the feedback process isn't as harsh as maybe it should be. Then you graduate, and you get into the quote-unquote real world. And then you kind of experience that first true criticism and you go wait wait a minute what's been happening for the past four five six seven years where everyone has been patting me on the back everyone's been saying how great i am and then you get out there and you're almost let let out to dry at times it felt like that yeah but the experience that you get in college is what you make of it okay i asked for feedback i asked how can i get better what am i doing wrong I spent more time on the air. I went back and I listened to myself. I there were there were alums who offered feedback. Hey, send me send me an air check and I'll I'll give you some feedback. And they just would offer it to me. And there there are students who take that opportunity. Sure. And there are students who don't. And you know, as as the the advisor of the radio station, it is up to me to urge them to take those opportunities. I can't make anybody do anything. Some students say I will take whatever feedback. I love it. Give me more. That's the kind of student that I was. I wanted the feedback. And when I wasn't getting it professionally, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to make myself better. So I, I think when when we're in college and we, we we experience all of the criticism and all of the feedback, sometimes we don't take it for what it is. We take it for granted a little bit. Right. And then... When we're out in the real world, we need someone telling us, you're doing this wrong. There's a better way to do this, and we don't get it. Because you're a professional now. You're expected to know how to do this. In your case, and and I, I mean this in, in a very sincere way, you're a special unicorn, right? Not everybody turns out to be the GM of the station no. that they they graduated from. <laughs> no. After the tenure, John Dorman was here 38? 38 years. 38 years. Okay. So there's one of him. And, yes. he, and you were under his tutelage. I was, yes. And now there's one of you. 
Well, I, I would like to think there is only one. For now. I did not the time and place to break the news. No, but, te- you know, tentatively for the foreseeable future, hopefully. I don't think they've perfected human cloning yet. No. Well, that's our second segment. No, so I think, <laughs> I think in a lot of these situations, I, I try my best to distance myself from what I did, what was productive and helpful for me, because not every student is programmed like me. And thank God, because I wasn't the best student. I just lay, I was sort of a late bloomer in a lot of facets of my life. And so when I try to look at students and look at their professional portfolios and look at how they can improve their careers and their resumes, it takes a great deal of effort for me not to project onto them. Because I would imagine your career trajectory is actually, I would imagine, pretty good. Graduate from a prestigious program have a ton of experience, nine months to find a job, we'll, we'll put that on the back burner, not the worst outcome. Some people are still looking yeah. a decade yeah. later. And then morning show, midday show, GM of a radius. I mean, the, so your growth linearly within your career is pretty admirable. Not everyone's going to have things that even look or feel close to that. There are a lot of people in the industry who all they want to do is be on the air. Okay. I thought that was me. I thought I only want to be on the air. About four years in, man, I want to be a production director. Mm. And then I got passed over a few times and I said, okay, yeah, I want to be on the air. And then I was told that John Madorma would be retiring in a few years. And I said, now I want to be the GM of the radio station. I actually, my senior year went up to his office and I said, I want your job. Yeah. And he said, well, when I retire down the line, be ready. So that's what I spent my 12 years doing. In the back of my mind, I knew that I wanted to come back here. That eventually, one day I would wake up and say, I don't want to be on the radio anymore. Hmm. I don't want to do that anymore. And it kind of happened right as this transition was happening at the radio station. Where John was leaving and they needed a replacement my desire to be on the air had kind of gone away. The grind of putting a show together every single day and waking up at two in the morning, I didn't want to do it anymore. I wanted to lead a more normal life. So when, when, you, when you talk about my career trajectory, it was what I wanted it to be. I, 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 I don't have regrets. Oh, maybe I should have gone downtown. I never wanted to work downtown. I didn't want that kind of commute. I didn't want that kind of pressure. Sure. I didn't want that spotlight. I'm a pretty shy person. For somebody who was in the spotlight, right. I'm a pretty shy person, and I don't like being the center of attention. So even just the, the job that I had, I was out of my comfort zone for 12 years, but I wanted that, so I was okay being out of my comfort zone. So when you, you talk about my career tra- trajectory, so I was the station manager of the radio station here for a couple of years, and then I got my first job in radio doing middays. And then I was bumped up to mornings after six years. And then I came back to be the GM here. That's exactly how I wanted my career to go. I think, you know, our egos sometimes get in the way. I really think I'm good enough at this. That person doesn't know what they're talking about. And maybe it takes a bit of rejection to, again, self-evaluate and say, maybe I am trying to go down the wrong path. Maybe I should go that other way because I am good at that. And I, I do like that. 
even though I really like this other thing, sure, I should pursue the thing that I'm really good at and like. I, I struggle with that notion be, it, for two reasons. Reason one is that I think it, it we have some semblance of confidence that we need to think that we could be at 21 years old. We could have that implanted in our mind that I'll be the GM of this radio station one one day. And I think that degree of confidence is important to our growth. The second bit of that is some industries really do have a barrier to entry that you have to be just crazy enough to think you could do it. Like brain surgery. Yeah. I want somebody operating on me, heaven forbid, who genuinely believes they are the best brain surgeon in the world because that irrational confidence is the reason that they pursued the industry. I don't want somebody who goes, well, you know, I was good at painting or pottery and I just also happen to get a, a, an MD in neuroscience, and here I am. But there's a difference between confidence and delusion. Okay. And entertainment is an industry where delusion is very prevalent. I, uh, I worked with somebody who was an actress before she did radio. And the stories she would tell me about auditions, these people would come in very confident, knowing they were going to get the role, and then they would get up there and they would absolutely bomb, but think that they yeah. had killed it. And then they were very upset when they got rejected. And they didn't understand what they were doing that was such a turnoff in the audition. It's, it's Again, we have a hard time evaluating ourselves, especially when it's performance-based. So while you don't necessarily want to be cautiously confident right you do want to be confident you want to have that confidence that no i really am the best for this job the day that i got that call i saw 630637 i knew that was a north central college number i hadn't heard that these other people got the job through the grapevine so i cautiously answered this is zach and it was dean caliendo calling to offer me the job. And immediately this just gigantic wave of relief before I'd even accepted it, before we'd even talked financials or anything. It's like, Oh goodness. They're, Oh, they're, they're, they're choosing me. Right. So that was, I, I, even though I didn't start for a month and a half, just knowing a, there was going to be gainful employment in my future. And it was what I wanted it to be. It was just the, the biggest relief. And so I, I received the same call from Dean Caliendo, and my conversation was, I don't know how long yours was. Mine was pretty short and to the point. Mine too. Yeah, and, and it was something to the effect of, hey, Michael, this is uh, Stephen Caliendo just calling. And I actually missed his call originally. It went to voicemail because I was teaching. <laughs> so See, I was sitting on the couch watching TV. No, no. And my I, phone rang. I was in the middle of a lecture, and... I, I, I come back after teaching and I look at my phone and go, oh, voicemail. I wonder who that is. And I didn't put together the pieces of 630. And so I, I listened to the voicemail just casually taking a sip of coffee and almost like a spit take. I was like, oh, my God. But he, to be fair, he did not disclose over the phone. I think that's an HR nightmare probably uh, that that I had I was about to be offered the job. So he said, you know, call me back at this number. All right. Talk to you soon. But he was very upbeat which he as a human is very upbeat. Yeah. So I didn't know how to read into that. I said, do I, do I call him back now? Do I wait? So I call him and he goes, oh, thank God. I, I thought you were dodging me. And I was like, oh, no. 
now now they definitely rescind the offer if, if it was on the table. Yes, you applied for a job, went through the whole process, and now you're you're I screening d- your calls. I didn't pick up. I didn't pick up, and that was it. That was the moment that he decided I wasn't the right candidate. And then, of course, he reveals that that he'd like to extend the offer. And I remember like a crashing wave of relief. And I think this is something maybe not as pertinent to you um, that happens in higher education is that I had started the interview process and I want to say November of the prior year. Uh, I did the phone interview. I did a Skype interview. I went through and actually came to campus in January. So process starts in November, early December, a break because of winter break. I come on a campus. I do the full day interview in a walking boot. A story for another time. And then I waited until, I want to say February, or maybe late January. And so during that period of time, I was still employed at another institution, and my contract was through June. So I get a job offer late January, accepted, and I'm still five months of my contract obligations to teach and do service and do all those things. And so I immediately felt a great disconnect between the work that I was currently doing, my current employer, Knowing that I was I was leaving. I was leaving in five or six months to start somewhere else. And so I I constantly battled with this idea, looking at my colleagues, looking at my students and thinking, well, even if I screw it up, kind of you in your last two months. It's like, even if I screw it up, I'm just going to be myself and unfiltered. Yeah. Not necessarily in a bad way, but kind of removing the training wheels in some way, being a more authentic version of self. And it was a very freeing experience, which sounds removing a lot. that filter absolutely was. Yeah, the you know we I, I want to backtrack just 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 quickly. You know Please. we talk about anxiety and self doubt coming to an educational institution, right? Being around a bunch of people who have master's degrees and PhDs and have published books, and I I'm a guy who talked for a living. You still are kind of, but. In the sense that I made money mm-hmm. by talking on the radio. That was all I did for 12 years. It's very intimidating to me to be around people who are experts in this field. And I'm new. I've never taught anything until this year. And and, and feeling inferior because y- you all have trained for this or done it already. Sure. You have something to go off of. And I don't. And... I remember sitting in our first apartment meeting just being like, how do I fit in here? How how am I a part of this more than being just the radio guy? How can I even imagine contributing anything to this department other than I tell these these students how to be better on the radio? So I, I think for me, I always put high expectations on myself, which leads to anxiety and self-doubt, which I think a lot of us do. You have to be willing to all the time try new things even if something seems like it's working awesome you still try something new i had a similar conversation with two students who are on this campus and they're exceptional writers and they're english majors and that makes sense it's a hand and glove fit i just i thought and this is not sure against the english major i just thought that their skill set was perfect for communication they're great verbal communicators they get it. They just get it. And unfortunately, right now, we don't have a PR major that they can enroll in. And so my dilemma is, 
know, I want to take them to the dark side. I want them to come over to calm. And yet I still have to be understanding is probably the best word, but I have to, I have to understand that that isn't within the purview of every student. And I, and I've historically had a really tough time accepting it, which is interesting because I will have conversations with other parents about my son, who's almost two. And they'll say, well, what, what do you think he's going to be one day? Like, I have no idea. He's two. He's two. There's still 30-year-olds wondering what they're going to be. Yeah. And he, yesterday, pet a turtle. And that was the crowning achievement of his life. So he might be a turtle, um, <laughs> is what his professional aspirations are. But no, I, I, I think that conversation is interesting because people will say, well, what if he wants to be somebody in radio? Don't, <laughs> don't tell him not to. What if he wants to be a college professor like you? And that one I say, absolutely not. No, thank you. See, I, that, it's, it's funny that you say that because when someone comes to me and says, I want to be on the radio, my first instinct is don't, don't do it. Run as far away. It's, it's an industry that's incredibly fun in the right situations. Yeah. Because of all the corporate radio stations and voice tracking, and the, there are so few full-time on-air jobs now that pay well. Right. It's almost an industry you don't want to go into. You have to love it. And if you love it, you will find the right job and you will be very happy. I think that the, the one thing that I want them to understand is you're not learning radio. You are learning communication by way of radio. That's what I took out of it. But I also took out of it how to be on the radio and how to do the of things course. I wanted to do. Yeah. So, so many people come here and they think, well, I'm not going to work at the radio station because I'm not a broadcasting major. I'm not a communications major. We have people who want to be accountants. They want to be scientists. You love music or news or sports or you just love talking, then you need to be here. If you want to get better at presenting, you need to be here. I think that is a compelling enough message. I wonder how many people will hear a message like that and be swayed into doing it. Because I, I, I do think, and, and this is the unique part about being in the same department, is that we have very different approaches to teaching people how to communicate better. I teach public speaking, mm-hmm. and we have the most foundational, I would argue, life skill that exists other than breathing and eating and <laughs> bathing. And and so, you know, we, we try our best to help people get past that original hurdle or that fear or that anxiety or that apprehension, whatever, however it manifests in the human body, psychologically, physiologically, actual anxiety that induces panic the fight or flight reflex and it's i i can't do this i am going to leave i have had students quite literally either a pass out amidst a presentation or b flee the classroom 30 seconds in because they just they just couldn't do it so i I don't know that my approach or your approach is necessarily ideal but it's the way that we do it and I've, I've really enjoyed hearing your perspective and your approach and making it your own thing. You have to make it your own thing. I'm always torn because I, I have this dilemma when I talk with students where I want them to just succeed as humans, fundamentally as humans. And if they have career success in the field that I'm teaching them to do good work in, that's, you know, a twofer. 
when I was younger, and I, I had mentioned, you know, I, I was a kid. I was so everything had to be perfect. Yeah. I remember being told that you have to learn how to fail. Mm-hmm. You have to be okay failing, because if you're not, you're probably going to fail. This is an environment of learning. And you have to let people fail so they can feel what that's like. And when they, when they have failed at something, well, now I know how to do it wrong. Right. How do I do it right? And then they take that and maybe they fail again, but maybe it's not as severe. And again, it's that gradual building of your foundation and starting to get it. I, I have one student who I gave him feedback and immediately he became our best jock. Without question, he became the best person on the air. After one air check, that's not going to happen often. There are people who it's going to take their entire four years here to get to a point where they're like really good and can get a job. Everybody's going to be different. Success is relative. Failure is relative. For me, failure would have been not getting a job in radio and working in an office. For some people, that's success. So I, I, we talked about projecting. I don't yeah. want to project what my version of success is sure. onto somebody else. And it can be really hard sometimes when I hear someone just completely bomb on the air thinking, how, how did that happen? How am I hearing this from one of my students? But it, I'm, not, I'm not the one doing it. They don't have my life experiences. They're 20. I'm 35. I've been doing this a lot longer. So because I listen as a listener in the car and have for many, many years, and I listen as the instructor, I have to separate the two. And this is completely new territory for me. So my version of success and failure for myself, part of my failure is forgetting to separate those two things. And the success would be, okay, that is a first-term freshman. They may not be good at this yet. They may take some time. And understanding, okay, they're coming into this just like I did with nothing. They've never been behind a microphone before. So that was actually pretty good. I had I had one student that she came to me during the summer saying, I'm a business major. Can I still be on the radio? Absolutely. Yes, you can. Okay, well, I don't want to be a DJ. Can I just do news? Of course you can. So she did news and traffic her first term. Her second term, she decided, I'm going to try a DJ shift. Her first were, first few were pretty rough. I want to say she's on like four or five times a week now. She just keeps taking shifts. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll fill in that. She was on every day during winter break. Every single day. This is somebody who didn't even know if they were going to join the radio station and has now told me, yeah, I want to do this all four years. I don't want to go into radio, but I, I, really, I really like this. And we talk about some of our, our departmental positions. And she's like, oh, I might want to do that. I might, I might want that position. This is, again, somebody who didn't even know if they wanted to do this at all. Right. And now they're thinking about how much more they can be involved. As far as I'm concerned, that is tremendous success. For that person to say, I don't even know if I want to be on the air. To, I'm on the air all the time and I want to be really involved with the radio station. For that student... To have only been here for two terms, that's success. Even if she never does anything with radio or media after college, she was a success very early on. 
I'd be curious to know moving forward what that evolving definition of success looks like, what it feels like, how you as the GM get to evaluate it. And I think this is something that we will continue to have conversations about and then moving forward, do this again. So thanks for your time, Zach. Absolutely.